Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Does the Bible tell us to hate our enemies? That is a question that we're going to answer on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith, along with my co-host, Trevin Wax. And Trevin, we are going to tackle that question of Jesus's commands versus the Old Testament commands. If Jesus says something about loving our enemies and whatnot, how can we read the Old Testament and see something about hating our neighbor or hating our enemies? Yep. So let's start with Jesus. Always a good idea. Um, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, um, has Jesus saying, uh, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's from Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, there's no particular place in the Old Testament that says it that starkly. Uh, but then Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that is Jesus's instruction to us. Yeah. So then what do we do with uh, our question today, right? Uh, we are looking at Psalm 139, 21 to 22, which says in the CSB, Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's kind of funny how in Psalm 139, a very popular psalm, uh, the whole, in case you don't know, Psalm 139 is the whole, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's so sweet. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Mm. Search me, God, and know my heart. All of those wonderful, quotable Amen. lines. Amen. And then this is the part of Psalm 139 near the end that usually doesn't make it onto coffee mugs and throw pillows. Mm-hmm. Um, although there may be a market for it. Maybe in D.C.? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just thinking about that. But. Oh, um, we won't touch that. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking too, I've actually seen even recitations of Psalm 139 that kind of cut out these problematic verses, it's right? Like they love that sweet stuff. That's right. Of Psalm 139. Yeah, it just gets yeah. edited right out. Yeah, so these two verses that, that uh, you just read, Brandon, and probably the two right before it, where it starts out in verse 19, it says, God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Okay, so. The verses we are focusing on right now are not the imprecatory ones that I just read. Imprecatory, that's the fancy theological word, meaning that they're calling for God's justice against his enemies. Uh, We're going to focus in on verses 21 and 22, where David, when he's showing how much he loves God, um, he is seeking to demonstrate his hatred of those who hate God. That's where he says, I consider them my enemies, he says, so they're his enemies. And then he says, I hate them with extreme hatred. So the question is, how do we square that kind of sentiment with Jesus's very clear instruction, as we mentioned, to love our enemies? Yeah, it's really so, interesting, too. I was just thinking that this is probably really good for me to do because I call you a bloodthirsty man <laughs> who I want to get away from me all the time. So I need you to answer this for me, Trevin. All right, first interpretation. I got a smile out of him, but not a real laugh. Just no, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want the audience to hear he didn't, that. He didn't want them to know how funny <laughs> I am. Okay, first interpretation. Uh, it basically says that this kind of hatred for enemies is um, not a personal vendetta against them, but rather a zeal for God's righteousness, right? So we're not talking about um, sort of this indiscriminate hatred here that, that David is throwing out, but, all, but actually a concern for God's character and name. So the focus is on the evil deeds and the rebellion that's demonstrated against God, not a kind of personal hatred toward people made in the image of God. So C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, he famously claimed that um, that he could hate things that he did while still loving himself as a person, right? So if we make this distinction in our own lives, 
then why can't we make this kind of distinction when we're zealous for the glory of God, right? So in this case, we can love those who are rebellious against God, but we still hate uh, the sin and whatever it is that they do that, that defames God's name. Okay, so first interpretation, focus on zeal for God's righteousness. A second interpretation is that what we're witnessing here in this passage is, is in this kind of poetry, is a, a really hyperbole. It's a hyperbolic exclamation of sorts that's just part of the genre. So when when David laments, uh, you know, what, whatever has happened to him, he'll often he'll often use these very exaggerated, powerful descriptions. You know, my food has been my tears day and night, for example, or that he's cried so much his bed will float. You know, so in precatory psalms, um, that these psalms where you're calling down God's judgment, they are a kind of literature and they have their own kind of rules. So there are some statements that are meant to shock you into recognizing just how important God's righteousness is, uh, just how much we should long for God to be exalted and all evildoers to be cast down. And so lifting up the ultimate holiness of God in, in this kind of genre is matched by abhorring sin and wickedness, by 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 speaking in very stark terms about sinners who practice wicked deeds as the enemies of God. So that's second interpretation. Okay, so second one is hyperbole. It's uh, part of the genre. Yep. It's and part th- of the genre. Yeah, good call. Uh, third interpretation uh, is that Jesus has superseded the expression of David here. Okay, so we basically would have to interpret this verse in light of the storyline that's on its way to Jesus, right? So seen in this light, Jesus is the true and better David, and his ethic of loving enemies means that we uh, need to read David's emotional words here in light of Jesus's higher call of love, kind of what we were uh, bouncing around earlier, one of, the, one of the answers to that. So this text is true to this interpretation, is true uh, in that it gives da- uh, voice to David's emotions, right? Uh, the full gamut of the human experience that we see all throughout David. Uh, but it's also not prescriptive in that we're not to, to try and model some kind of hatred towards God's enemies. So in praying this psalm, then, we should put on vent- all the vengeance in God's hands and then ask for his peace or receive his peace in exchange. And in the kingdom of God, then, there's no room for hate, just love because of Jesus. Okay. So we've got three interpretations here. I'm curious to hear where you land. I really don't know. So what, so, what do you say? So I, uh, the first interpretation is the closest to where I am. Um, I'd lean that direction anyway to say that basically that David hates his enemies uh, on account of God's righteousness. But I think I think that can be a little too tidy also. Oh, so you're going to mess it up. So I'm going to mess okay. it up a little bit, yeah. So uh, yes, I mean, it's clear that David is zealous for God's name, right? We see that throughout the Psalms. We see that in other places. Uh, but I also think he truly despised his enemies at times. I mean, I think it's very likely that if he's saying that he hates his enemies— um, that he actually just hates them because they are trying to kill him and trying to persecute him. So I don't want to, at the one hand, I don't want to say that he doesn't care about God's honor and God's name. In other places, he talks about honoring God's name. Uh, but I also don't want to over-spiritualize it and kind of push aside the idea that maybe David uh, really had these strong emotions towards his enemies and really did hate them in some way, stronger than just sort of an easy way out. Um, because he had real depth of despair and real... Um, real fear of his enemies, right? So I think it's po- it's at least possible. I'm not saying that is like the interpretation, but I think the interpretation the way that we read it is a little bit softer than I would like to than I would like to say. Okay. Um, but I will say that you know, it's a it's a little so too it sounded it sounds to me like you're making the 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 third interpretation. Well, I'm about to tell you why okay. it's not the third interpretation. All right, then go for that. That was a good catch. Um so on the one hand, I think, you know, all of that, but the third interpretation seems to ignore also how often Jesus says pretty biting uh, strong language to his enemies, right? 
And I think that third interpretation, what it tries to do is it takes David out of the context and basically says, who really cares what David said then? Because Jesus, it's actually just a springboard to show what Jesus actually meant. Or it takes away David's emotions and kind of just says, eh, don't worry about that. Jesus just kind of makes us forget about who David was and what David did. So I think the third one is a little bit too convenient and too too um, tidy, for lack of a better word, as well, because it's basically saying that, um, you know, we just push push David aside and just think about how loving Jesus is. And then you read Revelation where Jesus is um, not as sweet and kind as we would like for him to be. So, Okay, so I'm... I'm still a little bit confused. Stay, come on. As to whether you're one or three, uh, let, uh, I'll I'll tell you where I am on this. I so I'm going to go with a mix of one and two. I I oh I get a hard time for being a mix of one and three, and then you come no, in with your well, one and two. No, well, just hear me out. Hear me out, because I think my way sounds a little more concrete. So, um, I I do think we need to consider the imprecatory psalms as a genre that intends to showcase the holiness of God and the wickedness of evildoers, mm-hmm. for sure. And that genre certainly impacts the way we read this verse and other psalms that are like it. That's what I like about number two. It's saying, hey, here's the hyperbole, or here's the here's the type of psalm this is. It plays by certain rules. That's that's really the only part of it that I like mm-hmm. in, in the second verse. But I agree with you. You don't want to use that to then sort of make it too convenient or kind of tidy up some of the... the um, the emotional, just the emotional depth of that. Um, and generally, though, and this is the funny thing, I'm generally going to always run to a Christological approach, which in this case would make you think I'm going with number three, but I think that approach is just way too flat. It makes everything so clear-cut. Just, like, I mean, the idea that Jesus supersedes the ethic of David, that there's no room for hate in the kingdom of God, I'm not convinced by that interpretation theologically or really even Christologically, and here's why. Jesus did not shy away from these kinds of psalms. Mm-hmm. Neither did the New Testament authors. Jesus quoted from Psalm 69 a lot, and that's one of the most severe, if we're going to rank them, okay, one of the most severe of the imprecatory psalms. Paul quoted that same psalm in, in a way, and he didn't just quote, he quoted it in a way that was leaning on its authority as part of the Old Testament. So all I'm saying is I don't get the sense in reading Paul or really reading Jesus that they had any kind of moral problem with these psalms, or that, that they mm. would see these psalms as needing a corrective. So I I agree that the hatred here stems from moral revulsion and zeal for the name of God. It's not a personal vengeance kind of thing. So I, I don't think it contradicts what Jesus says in other places about loving enemies or about leaving vengeance to God. But there is still a place here, and I would say even today, for this kind of psalm reading. And it's it's recognizing, I think, that this is similar to the prayer for God's kingdom to come. There are two sides to that prayer. When we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, come make all things new, right? But we're also, by implication, saying, God, come and judge the living and the dead. Make things right by purging this world of evil. It's like the martyrs who are crying out to the altar in Revelation. Yeah. You know? So I think this verse expresses the holy hatred of God towards sin. And there, there is a sense in which there's a holy hatred we should share, even if still we pray for those who would persecute us. As, as Jesus taught us to. Okay, so, so then where to, to clarify where we would disagree then, I I still think it's, so I wouldn't think that if, if you were to say, yes, David really meant I have a personal vendetta against these enemies. Let's say David really meant that. That that's not necessarily contradictory to what Jesus said. Rather, it's a report of what he was actually feeling at the time, an historical yeah, it account. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't make it untrue. Yeah, so, there, right. so therefore I think it's entirely possible that he really did have a personal vendetta or really did hate them, fear them, whatever word you want to use there. Um, and so I think that first that first view, just saying, oh, it's just about his zeal for the Lord and how much he just loves God. Yes, but also he doesn't want to be murdered 
or uh, beaten by his, you know, by his enemies it, as well. It's true, but in context, I mean, he says, "God, if only you would kill the wicked," you know. Um, and, and then he, but he talks about how they're God's enemies, right. not just his own. But I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. I, I guess my my only pushback there is, I just don't, sen- I, I don't sense on the part of the the New Testament authors um, any kind of problem with these with these verses. Yeah. And so I I have to ask the question is the problem that I that we may feel why this is a controversial passage because there really is a problem here or because our sensibilities and our own feelings and our own outlook on life has not been sufficiently shaped by the 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 worldview that we see on display in in Paul and in yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I agree so, with that. So that's uh, that's all I'm pushing back on. Is I I'd ra- I want my sensibilities my to be formed yeah. by. But then that's why I would songs. say that even if he has the personal vendetta, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily morally wrong or ethically wrong. It may just be that we don't like it that he has a personal vendetta against them. Yeah, but you know I. Saying? But yeah, but a lot it's of people possible. interpret the "love your enemies" passage from Jesus as as kind of taking it out of the realm of "it's all about you." Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, and so I I think that's where we should leave. Like raise it to the level of a zeal for God's honor, yeah. Rather than well, that's definitely the ideal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but anyway, so yeah. how coming back to the ground now? Um, how would you preach or teach this passage? Let's say you're preaching through Psalm 139. Yeah. What do you do? You well, conveniently edit out these verses. Or? Yeah, that's what I would do. Just make it real easy. <laughs> Just make it real, real. Uh, oh, now, we're out of time. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, you can read that on your we gotta, own. We got to get to the restaurants before the Methodists <laughs> let out. You know that. That's right. Um, now, I think what, what I would want to do is preach the whole psalm. I think the whole psalm is tied together in a lot of ways. I think David is in the psalm talking about how how much he loves the Lord and how thankful he is for what the Lord has done for him. And part of his cry in this enemy, save me from my enemies, is that you are the one who made me in my mother's womb. You are the one who loves me and who cares for me. So you are the one, you're the only one who can fix this. You're the one who cares about this. And I think that's where the, the part of this interpretation of this is about God's honor and glory, like, Amen on that. I think David is crying out for that. Uh, but what I'd also want to say is, you know, it's possible here that David had a very real, visceral reaction to persecution and to fear and to the things in his life, and that it is okay to feel that way. And it's 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 okay to feel frustrated with your enemies. It's okay to be angry with them. It's okay to want vengeance. The question is, what do you do with that? The temptation is going to happen. Not that it's okay to feel vengeance, but the temptation to feel vengeance or to feel anger or to want to hurt somebody is a part of living in the fallen world. What do you do with that? That's the question. And so that's what I would want to push toward. Remember what David is originally doing. He's saying, God, you're the one who enacts vengeance. I need you to do this. You're the one that can, uh, as the right judge, you're the one who made me and cares for me. And so I would want to, I would want to set, make sure that we don't make people think you're not allowed to feel this way, but rather you are going to probably feel this way. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? And who are you going to take that right. feeling to? Exactly. And, okay. So, so for me, if I'm preaching this, I, I really like how you talked about putting this in the context of the whole Psalm. I think that's really important. Um, and I would want to do the same thing. This is not the, the bulk of the Psalm or even the focus of the Psalm. The Psalm is, uh, as a remarkably, as markedly different tone up until this point. So yeah. I think you want to focus on the 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 tone and the the truths that the psalm focuses on. Um, that said, there is this element that adds a richness and depth to the psalm. And I think to ignore it or to overlook it or to kind of put it aside, uh, Psalm one thirty nine can very quickly, aside from its the whole context, including this this section, it could wind up becoming very sentimentalized. Yeah. Right. And so this actually, I think, grounds that psalm in, uh, in like you said, human emotion, 
But I, I think there also is a bit of a call here to uh, a zeal for God's honor. That at least that's where I think the, we want to leave people with a certain aspiration yeah, I agree. to where to where they are going to hate sin and love and love God more, we, all within the context of God knowing us and God searching us and God knowing us. And so, um, so I, I would, I would preach the, the whole Psalm, preach the, this part as a, as a small side of the sermon, obviously, because it's not the, the focus of the Psalm, but still touch on that because I think it's, it's an important uh, point to hit on. Yeah. And so. it's definitely going to jump out to people when they read it too. That's sure. A, that's a oh, quick yes. turn when you get there. So, all right, Trevin, enjoyed it as always. Thanks for hopping on with me. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.